Welcome to Fintech Files. Today, I have the pleasure to speak with Melissa Gopnik. She's Senior Vice President at Commonwealth, a nonprofit that promises to make wealth possible for all. And we'll talk together about what that means. There, she leads the Innovation Lab. Melissa, welcome to the show. Thank you, George. I'm glad to be here. I'd be really curious in first discussing this ambitious statement, mission, making wealth possible for all, because we all know this is not how it works. Can you expand and tell us more about the mission of Commonwealth? Let me break it down for you. When we say make wealth possible for all, when we say we need more than just money and assets, we really are talking about a wealth of opportunity, an option so that everyone can live their best lives. So I think we think of it much more expansively than just the money in people's wallet. When you talk about possible, we really are talking about changing the financial system. And I think fintechs are always trying to do that as well. And um, really wanting to bring to market products that better meet the real financial lives of people who live on low and moderate income, which is the majority of the people in the U.S. And finally, when we say make wealth possible for all, really actually the work that we do is really focused on people who have been excluded from building wealth in the past, people who are low and moderate income, black, Latinx, and, and women. And that's who we really focus our work on. And we do that by working in partnership with financial institutions and fintechs to help them understand how to design better products and how to distribute them so they reach the people they're intended for. Right. So obviously it's not about suddenly we're becoming wealthy, but it's about being able to participate and, and enter into this wealth of opportunity and also wealth accumulation process, which, which has um, long-term uh, returns. And so what are the issues we've been, we're facing and why are some groups, as you mentioned, being excluded? I think it's, we think about it as wealth building pathways, right? There's, there are long-standing pathways to wealth building, whether that's homeownership, the capital, the small businesses, and on all of them, there have been barriers uh, to people with low and moderate incomes from accessing them. And those barriers have been systemic. In other words, not because of what I do as an individual, but how the system has been set up. So, for example, retirement system in the U.S. is where how a lot of people accumulate wealth. I think they're in their 401. And yet around half of working people don't have access to their 401k at their work. And even if they don't have enough income to participate or their income is too volatile. And so that's an example of a barrier to wealth building. Another one is you need to have a wealth building identity is what we that. In order to even believe you can get on a wealth-building pathway, you have to believe that you, your community, your family, your friends can do that. So, for example, if you see an ad on TV that's for investing in the stock market, one of the new fintechs that does lots of investing in stock market, and you're not seeing anyone like you and you don't know anyone who invests in the stock market, you're not going to write down the web address. They're going to change. The and so you really need to have an kind of identity to even get started on a wealth-building pathway. Finally, I think actionable knowledge is another huge barrier. Wanting to, understanding how to do, how do you start a small business? How do you start to save for retirement? How do you invest in, in the capital markets? And this is not about financial education. This isn't about a high school class and wanting to stop and what is a fund and all of that kind of stuff. 
it's really giving people the right information at the right time so they can take action. Right. So there's a lot of interesting things here. And indeed, there seems to be a lot of things that many of us get without having to f make an effort into it because of their work or family or things like that. That uh, means it's embedded into what you do. And then you arrive into the, the working force and it feels perfectly natural. But to what you're telling me is that aside from the income, which is obviously a big thing in itself, there's a lot of other elements. That's right. I think we sometimes talk about the dining room conversation. What do you talk about at over the dining room table? I know in my family, never ever talked about stock markets or investing or even retiring. And so it never even occurred to me that I should have an account at Bank of Fidelity or anywhere else. And so said, my daughter, when she was eight and wanted to start saving for her first car, I talked to her about the, we opened up an account for her. And so she's going to have a very different life and have opportunities to build wealth starting young than I ever did. So in my mind, I've also often thought about financial education, as in people need to be, like you mentioned, educated about the stock markets, etc. But I gather this is also something much further down the line, right? We think of financial education as only needed when someone's actually taking a lack, right? Like you need to know what a stock is when you're about to buy a stock. You don't need to know what a stock is when you're 16-year-old and mostly worried about passing your test. So that's the key is developing the information at the right time and from the right uh, messenger. I'm going to most likely listen to someone who I think is like me rather than to some white dude in a suit who I don't think with any understanding of what my life is like. So it's not just the right time, but the right messenger as well. So that's what Commonwealth is intending to, to solve. And you talk about design principles. So obviously we cannot just raise the, the income like that, but how can you tell us how design can help at this level? Absolutely. I think a lot of research has said that people respond to the systems around them. So if you want to change someone it's easier, it's much, much easier to change their system in front of them, their options, than who they are and what they do. So my favorite example of this is in New York City, when you go into a restaurant now, you see the calorie count. And people have dramatically changed how they eat. No one told them to eat better. Everyone knows to eat better. But they were given the information, they were given different options, and therefore they changed their behavior. And so we think of that in the same way for financial product. If we can change the design of the financial product that everyone have had access to, then in fact, they can make better financial decisions for themselves. And so an example of a, what we think is an important inclusive design principle, specifically for people who live in non-moderate incomes, is fostering a sense of agency. So lots of fintechs and financial products believe in defaults. When you default someone into a specific behavior, to make it easy for them, right? Oh, you don't have to think about it. We're just going to make the decision for you. The problem with that is that you and your don't feel a sense of control over any part of your life, that actually having even less control is, is worse for you. So imagine if you're in a job and your boss decides how many hours you work each week, which makes you either pay your rent or not pay your rent. You really want the rest of your life to have a much greater sense of control and agency. And so the more you can build that into our financial, a kind of a sense of active choice, 
the more people will feel agency and capability. Oh, wait, I made this decision. It led to good things. And therefore, I can make other decisions. We've seen this in our research. When people start to save, even if it's only five bucks a week, they get a sense of, wow, look, I can do this. I'm great. Maybe I could attack my debt. Maybe I can think about looking for a better job. And so we really think that's a poor design for this population. It's really engendering through design choices a sense of agency and capability. Right. So agency, a very poor design. You talk, I saw on the website, you talk about a few other principles. Maybe you can guide us through that and then we can think of how do we implement this. I think another one that we think a lot about is focusing on people's aspirations. And often when you see products for people, like images of stressed out people, and you talk about, oh, you're stressed about your debt, right? Or how are you going to get out of debt? Rather than focusing on what will getting out of debt get you. So instead of talking about get out of debt, talk about buying that home or buying a new car. Talk about the aspirational future that you're trying to help that person get to rather than the negative path. Lots of brain research shows that we're happier when we're happy, right? That when we're feeling positive about our life, the, all of the stuff in our brain, all the chemicals, all the endorphins get started. And so we want people to have that sense of positivity when they're thinking about their finances. And you can do that through design, through focusing on people's long-term aspirations rather than perhaps bad decisions or bad opportunities that they've had in the past. And we see that a lot with products that are designed for people who are financially vulnerable or are financially challenged. It tends to focus on the negative and focusing on the positive in the future is much more effective in terms of behavior change and in terms of enthusiastic uptake of your. Okay, so aspiration and agency, these are things that uh, don't seem as well too completely hard to implement. Any other like fundamental principle that we should be aware of? Yeah, I think the other one, which is actually not that complicated, is around really listening to your customer. That sounds so, but we all have a tendency to assume what someone else's financial life is going to be like my financial life. And so, for example, we assume that people have fairly steady income, right? You get a paycheck every two weeks. But increasingly, vast majorities of the population don't have that. They have much more volatile incomes. And so designing a product to really match people's actual financial lives, not some imagined financial, is incredibly important. And the way to do that is to actually talk deeply and listen deeply uh, to understand what people's financial lives. My financial life is very different than my parents and my daughter's is going to be really different than mine. And understanding those differences is key to designing a financial product that people will actually use because it makes their lives better. And if we now, so this is the FinTech podcast, if we try to figure out the implementation for FinTechs in particular, first, uh, so I want to try to look at the business side of things. You say that there are people who have been traditionally excluded and you mentioned specific communities and also there's an income level that matters. But are we now, are you talking to people who are only addressing those niche or what if I'm not specifically targeting Latinx and, and women or something like that? Should I still make an effort into it? And perhaps you can tell us about what do you mean about lower income in that respect? Yeah, so we tend to work with folks who are working. So we make an income between 30 and 80,000 
dollars annual household income. So it's a, it's the vast majority of people who live in this country, right? If you look at the income distribution, the vast majority of the people are working people who make a working income. And so if you design a product that meets their lives, you'll have a huge potential customer segment. We sometimes talk about the curb cut effect, which means that if you design for people with the most challenges, sometimes that's a call designing for the extreme user. If you design for someone who has five challenges, and then someone who only had one of those challenges is also served well. And so it allows you to, if you design for a black woman who, who makes $70,000 a year, who has many different challenges, and you design a product that works for them, you'll also have a product that works for anyone who makes $70,000 a year, or a black woman who perhaps makes more or less than that. So it's really a way to design for a specific user who has the most challenges. And then you will also be able to serve people who have fewer of those salaries. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. And, and indeed, um, it's uh, talking, let's say if I'm a middle-aged white guy that um, wants to build a fintech, my, let's say my first worry it would be to, oh, how do I find the next customers, etc. So unless you're really targeting super high net worth, this is the core audience of every fintech and uh, I would also mention something about the there's this Christensen disruption saying that if you manage to target less profitable segment, you have a good chance of expanding further. So it seems to me that it makes perfect business sense and that obviously all the people in fintech want to be inclusive and, and not discriminatory, but it's not a choice that you have to make. Absolutely not. It makes perfect sense. And I think what you end up with is People are so used to having products that don't meet their complex financial lives. If you can design a product that really matches their complex financial lives, really helps them to meet their aspirations, you're not just going to get people using your product. You're going to get people who are evangelical about your product and who enthusiastically use it and really loyal, lifelong customers. The more that you can design a product that, that no one else really desire because it doesn't meet their complex financial life and their aspiration, the more enthusiastic uptake you're going to get. So now in terms of implementation, perhaps we can take different kind of example. And from the fintech point of view, so at what point should I embrace this? If let's say we're early stage, at what point should I start thinking of it and implementing those things? And also, how does it work within an organization? Yeah, I think it's not expensive. All you really need are your ears and an ability to talk to some people. It's not that complicated. It's about really listening to understand what someone's complex financial lives is. And this means not just talking to the people that know, but reaching out to community-based organizations, to networks of people, to understand different people than you, and to really get closer understanding uh, what their lives are like. There's a great website in the U.S. Financial Diaries where they spend lots of time intensely looking at people's lives. And so there's great data there to get you started. But really, it's not that complicated. It's about listening to the to different people than you perhaps have listened to in the past to understand what their complex financial needs are and also what their aspirations are. Again, back to that needing to focus on the positive. So again, I'm launching my fintech and maybe the first people I talk to are people around me, but what I should do is also really reach out to people who are different from me, which sounds like common sense. And that will allow me to a product that's more inclusive and better for everyone. 
That's right, exactly. And it's again, it seems like common sense when we talk about it, but it's very easy to just focus on what you have in mind, what you around your group of them. But I think any lean startup book would, would advocate for that. Um, so if we now take a, a different example of perhaps a more established product, how can we improve it? And I guess the question is, we should reach out to people, but also how much in terms of if it's an app, the actual design and things like that we should tweak. So I spent a lot of my time consulting to financial institutions and to fintechs. And it's actually not that hard. Right. You have to ask the right questions of the right people. So a big uh, example is default. Everyone believes it's incredibly important to make it easy, right? You don't want your customer to have to think, you want to make it easy. And we advocate strongly for active choice. So that's not that much comp more complicated to actually have people have to press a button to say, yes, that is what I want to do, rather than making it automatic. And that simple design change gives people a sense of control and agency, which every human being wants. It's baked into us to want that. We've all struggled with that over the last 10 years with COVID, and we feel out of control. And so it's, it's that human of giving the user an ability to control. So it could be a button. It could also be allowing them what they see on their dashboard. So being able to customize it sort of matches who I am. I, I love purple. Make me be able to put purple all over my dashboard rather than blue. Simple things like that to give people a sense of control and customization is, for example, a, a tweak that really can make a difference. So it's as simple as that. That works well for, let's say, the agency part. Uh, and in the same way, so if we we're trying to find a, a concrete example of this, uh, you mentioned, uh, for example, aspiration. That translates, I would guess that translates into your messaging or um, how would that work? So we've done some work with some credit building products, right? So lots of people have have bad credit scores or have no credit scores, right? Our thin files in this country. And so many of those products tend to focus on you've gotten into debt and so you have a bad credit score, right? So that's mm. the message. Instead, there should be messaging around, you have hope to buy it. You want to help, you want to put a down payment onto a house, but you can't access credit right now. How can we help you reach your goal of buying that new car or buying that house? And let's work together to help you reach your goals versus you did a, you have bad credit because you got into credit card debt when you were in college and let's fix that problem. So it's not a big difference, but it's about future goals and aspirations rather than focusing on the negative of what you've done in the past. Another good example of this is actually a Discover card. They have a series of ads around, we know you, right? It's all about showing that the company understands who you are where they have the same actor play the customer service agent and the customer. And that's an extreme example of really good ways of showing your customer that you know them, that you understand them. So that's one of my favorite examples of a big company that has done something really impressive in that world. All right, I'll, I'll have to look it up. Again, I'm trying to think of it from a fintech startup point of view. What I gather here as well in terms of opportunities that it's something that is perhaps not done very well or hasn't been done very well traditionally and has tremendous benefit if you do it right. And it's also cheap and easy to implement. And I leave all the, the normative aside, but from, from a business point of view, it's a great differentiation factor and it helps the, the community, the, the society as a whole, right? It's a win-win-win is what we like to talk about. It. It's a win for the fintech because they get more customers that are loyal 
and enthusiastic users. It, it's a win for the customer because they're able to have better financial lives and get on a pathway to wealth building. It's a win for the society because the slot research that shows when people feel more financially secure, there's less societal upheaval and it's a safer society for everyone. So really it is a win for, for the company of the individual and for the broader community. So do you feel, if we now turn towards the future and your outlook, do you feel that the emergence of fintech has significantly uh, improved this aspect for the majority of the people? I think it has a, a huge opportunity to improve it because I think fintechs have definitely disrupted the financial system. There's no way that Schwab would be offering $5 to start investing if it hadn't been for some of the fintechs who had very small dollar or fractional stocks. Absolutely. Fintechs have a huge opportunity to disrupt the financial system. I think they haven't done enough to disrupt it in a way that works better for people who live in lower moderate incomes or for communities of color. But I think there's a huge opportunity to do that. And I'm optimistic. I think we've seen lots more people interested in this topic um, over the last two years after the murder of George Floyd. Lots of people now understand the systemic inequalities in our country. And so I think that makes me very optimistic that people want to address the deep-seated systemic inequalities that lead to financial inequalities and economic inequality. And I think FedEx are exactly the right people to do that. Yes, uh, we, off the record, we were talking uh, earlier about why I like fintech and why I had enough of the financial services industry, which I exited 10 years ago. But uh, it's exactly that, right? There's such a massive societal opportunity, which goes beyond just the financial product and, and the return. So that's a very positive note. And so let's to further try to flesh out. the. So how do you see the, the outlook and what do you think could be, let's say, an ideal scenario going forward in the coming, how, how long will it take, years, months? I, I think it won't take as long as we think. Disruption happens pretty quickly. If you think about the disruption curve, you just need enough people doing it, enough people who are saying, yes, I'm going to design, not just for the millennial, wealthy millennial, I'm going to actually design for people who live on low and moderate incomes and disrupt the large financial institutions, right? Serve those customers better. Those customers are not being served well right now by mainstream banks and mainstream financial services. If a fintech comes along and actually serves them, people will come to you in droves. And then the large banks will notice and change what they do. And so I think it, it won't take long. I'm optimistic that within the next five years, we could really see an uptick in products that actually serve the financial needs of complex people's complex financial life, because everyone's life is getting more complex, right? It's not just people who live on non-moderate incomes. Everyone's financial lives, whether you're doing three gig jobs or whether you change jobs every two or three years, or you have five different payment apps, uh, your family has five different payment apps. As complexity grows, if we can come up with fintech that can deal with that complexity, I think it's a huge opportunity to change economic inequality in this country. Wonderful, Melissa. And I know you have some guides that can help people to go into the journey and improve their yep. designs. Yeah, we have a, our website is called buildcommonwealth.org because we are a nonprofit and it's the page is inclusive design. We have a bunch of principles with examples. We also do one-on-one -on -one consultation. Um, so happy to help uh, anyone who is, wants to address 
this important issue of inclusive design. It's wonderful. Is there anything else that you um, want to add? I think it's, I, I would encourage people to understand it's not hard, but it takes a lot of work and a lot of intention and to get this right. Right. Yeah. Which is also something that I like so much about it because so much of FinTech is about, oh, funding and coding and, and things like that, which are also hard and cost a lot of, and this is uh, another, let's say, arrow that you can have or, and that you should all have. And that can have such a great impact. So thank you so much for sharing your insights with us on this important topic. And yes, we'll put all the links uh, in the description of the podcast. Great. Thank you so much. This was fun.